So, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 22. So would you stand please and, and uh, we're going to read the word of God, then we'll pray and we will get to work in it. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we ask for grace and help as we look into your word. We ask, Father, that you would help us to live out the gospel in our workplace, in our homes, in um, whatever situation that we find ourselves in. God, I pray that we might display the beauty and the glory of the gospel. Lord, soften our hearts up. God, help us not to be rebellious today, but to be submissive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in chapter 3, you may be seated. So in chapter 3, what we've been looking at is, in verses 1 through 4, Paul says, set your mind on things above. And then he tells us what that means. It means to embrace the reality that if you're a born-again believer, you have Turn from your sin, put your faith in Jesus, and when that happened, you were joined to Jesus Christ. You were adopted, you were justified, you were made righteous with His righteousness. Your life belongs to Him. You're joined to Him forevermore. So there's this fundamental change that has happened in you. If that has happened in you, then you'll begin to change practically. You'll begin to put off the old self, anger and wrath and malice and covetousness and idolatry and you'll begin to put on the new self which is compassion and kindness and humility and patience and meekness and and forgiving one another and then he says and this is going to happen first and foremost in your family so it's like Paul begins to look around in the family and he's like all right so wives if you put on the new self and put off the old self you've been joined to Jesus then submit yourself to the leadership of your husband husbands if you put on the new self and put off the old self and been joined to Jesus Christ then you should love your wives and not be harsh with them and kids if you have put on the new self and put off the old self then you should obey your parents and then okay husband wife kids that's everybody in your home right but in most of the homes that Paul was dealing with in the Roman Empire, there was probably another category of people, right? Besides the husband, besides the wife, besides the kids, you had the servants, right? You had the slaves. That was the Roman Empire in which Paul lived. And so Paul almost treats them as if they are family, I guess. And he's like, all right, servants, if you have put on the reality of being joined to Jesus Christ, put off the old self, put on the new self, then you will live out the gospel in this way. So this is all about us living out the gospel in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. Now, I think that I need to do this. I think we need to spend about 10 minutes here talking about why didn't Paul, right here, when he had the opportunity, why didn't he call for a revolt against slavery in the Roman Empire? It was rampant. Uh, most estimates say that half the population of the Roman Empire were slaves, right? So why, why didn't Paul take this opportunity to say, all right, slaves, 
You guys need to start making picket signs, you know? You need to start making pamphlets that you can hand out and go before Nero and go before Rome and, and picket the place and, and call your congressmen and, and masters that are Christians. You guys need to, you know, why, why, didn't, why didn't he say something? Why didn't, why didn't he call for a revolt? Now, obviously he did not support slavery. There's lots of, if you read the book of Philemon, the, the book of Philemon is all about Paul trying to rescue this slave, right? So it's obvious that he did not support slavery. The Bible does not support slavery. In fact, the, the tenets of the New Testament, the principles of the New Testament, are what actually undercut slavery eventually in our nation and in many other nations, guys like William Wilberforce in England. But he does not address it here. Why? Let me give you, I think, three reasons why. Number one. The church is an oppressed minority with no political voice or power. You see, that's a strange thing to us, right? If you're, if you're mad about Obamacare, what do you do? Well, you talk about it, right? You, you, you tell everybody how mad you are. You know, if you're industrious, you might call your congressman. You might write a letter. You might even go to Washington, D.C. and hold up a sign. Or if you're mad about something politically, you do all that. And you know what happens to you? Nothing, right? All right, that's not the world of the New Testament. So had they taken up the cause of slavery, they probably would not have gotten anything else done, which would have meant the gospel would not have advanced in the Roman Empire, which would have meant terrible things for everybody. Number two. So number one, they are an oppressed minority with no political voice. It's really the same reason why Christians in communist China and communist Russia, you know what they didn't do? They didn't stand on the corner and hand out anti-communism pamphlets. You know what they did? They built churches underground. You know, they, they, they grew the underground church. Number two, slavery was built into the economic and social fabric of the Roman Empire. Again, by this time, probably half the population, some estimates say, were, were slaves. Uh, not just field workers and kitchen help, not at all. Teachers, um, managers, supervisors. Uh, in fact, in a lot of Jesus' parables, how, how does it go? It goes like there's a master and he leaves and he leaves his estate with the servants, right? And he gives to some of them this much money and some of them this much money and they have to manage it. And then when he comes back, he gives an accounting. I mean, this is kind of just woven into the fabric of, of the Roman Empire. In fact, to stop it would have been, I don't know what they, you know, it would have, they'd have had to have a plan to compensate for how society would work without slavery at that time. So in other words, it was something that was woven into the fabric of their society. Number three, the church is focused on the mission of the gospel, okay? The church is focused on the mission of the gospel. That is the priority of the church. I'm going to read you a verse that you're going to have trouble with. Um, I'm actually going to read you three of them, all right? But here's the first one, okay? So from an American mindset, this is a really strange verse. These are really strange passages, right? So 1 Timothy chapter 6 is speaking to slaves, and here's what it says. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants, so in other words, those who are under the yoke of slavery, here's what Paul tells them to do, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. All right, do, you, do you see what he just told him to do? He said, if you're a slave, then what you should do is regard your master as worthy of all honor. So treat the guy, the guy who's enslaved you. Huh? What? That's very un-American, right? We would say get your pistol out, right? 
But he says, treat them as worthy of all honor, and then so that, that's a very important little phrase, so that, what's the reason? That the name of God and the teaching, what's the teaching? Scriptures, right? The gospel. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Okay, now, now, do you notice what Paul is chiefly concerned about? He is chiefly concerned that the gospel go forward in the Roman Empire. That's his chief concern. His, his chief concern is not rights or comforts or pleasant circumstances of individuals. That's, that's not his chief concern. Let me, let me read you a, a passage that's maybe even stranger than that one, all right, for us to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a, a chapter, starts out talking about marriage, and it quickly goes into bad marriages, all right? So it talks about marriage, and it talks about what to do if you're in a bad marriage, and then it talks about Jews and Gentiles, and then it talks about slaves and free, all right? Now I'm going to pick up with the slaves and free part. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, all right? Were you a bondservant when called? All right, stop right there. Were you a bondservant when called? What's he saying? He's saying, you know what called means? That means when God called you, right? So if you're a Christian here today, you know what happened at some point in your life? The Holy Spirit called you, right? He knocked on your door. He, he opened your heart to see his glory. He drew you to himself. That's what the word called means, all right? So Paul is saying, were you a slave when you were called, when you were saved, when you were called into salvation? And then notice that next phrase. Don't be concerned about it. What? Don't be concerned about it. Well, that's easy for you to say, Paul. You're not a slave, Right? But he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, don't be concerned about it. He says, if you can gain your freedom, then avail yourself of the opportunity. So in other words, Paul's saying, if you can get free, get free, that's great. But if you can't, then essentially he says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Verse 22. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. So in other words, if you're a slave, well, that's not that big a deal because you're free in the Lord. Does that make sense? Likewise, he who is free when he's called, so let's say you're free here on earth, well, that's not that big a deal, because you're a bondservant of Christ. Verse 23, you were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. All right, this this can blow you away. Essentially what Paul is saying is your spiritual status is more important than your social status. I I don't know that most American Christians believe that. I I think a lot of people would would kind of rank it like this. They would say, okay, the fact that, that I am free and not a slave to somebody, we would go even further. The fact that I'm free and not a slave and that I have a good job and that I make a good income and that I have pleasant circumstances in my life That is up here. Like, if those things are not in play, then I'm not happy. I can't be joyful. I can't be be okay. All that's got to be there. And then we say, well, yeah, but you're also joined to the eternal Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. You're adopted and justified and born again, and you have the new heavens and the new earth. And we're like, yeah, that's pretty important too. Right? That's the way we look at it. That's not the way Paul looked at it. Paul says, well, you know, being being free, having a good job, having good circumstances, having good health. Well, that, that's, that's right here. That, that's pretty good. It's cool. It's right there. You know, that, that's quite a ways up. All right? But he would say, but being joined to Jesus, 
being an heir of the king of the universe, that is up here, all right? So see, unless you've got that chart right, that verse doesn't make sense. Chapter 1 Corinthians 7 doesn't make sense. How could he say, don't be concerned about it? But he does. And essentially what he's saying is, the big deal in life is not your race. It's not your nationality. It's not your income level. It's not your socioeconomic status. In fact, you go back to Colossians. We've been looking at chapter 3 here. Look at Colossians 3, 10 and 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says, Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, here, so what is here? Here is you being joined to Jesus, okay? You being in this new position with Christ. He says, here there is not Greek, and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. He says, there's not that. Those aren't the distinctions between people. Those aren't what matter in our lives. He says, but the end of verse, but Christ is all and in all. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying being in Christ is monumentally important. Without that, then, then you're nothing. Then, then you need to worry. But he says, with that, then no matter whatever other circumstance you find yourself in, well, don't, don't worry about it. Here's what Paul would say to us today. Maybe you'd come up to him and you'd say, hey, Paul, let me introduce myself as my name, and I am the CEO of my company. You know, I am the boss. I own it. I, 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 I'm the chief executive officer. I've rose my way to the top, and now I'm the boss over everybody in my company. You know what Paul would say? Big deal. I mean, he would. I mean, great. I mean, he's glad you're there, but he would say, okay. He would say, but, but what is your position in Christ? Who are you in the Lord? What is your connection to Jesus? Now, on the, on the other hand, you might come up and introduce yourself to Paul, and you might say with your head down low, you might say, Paul, I am the lowest guy at my work. There is nobody lower to me. In fact, when that CEO guy comes in in his helicopter and lands and, 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 he, and he walks into our office, my job is I'm the guy that's there on my knees and he kicks off his shoes and I take a toothpick and I get all the dirt out of his shoes. That's my job. You know what Paul would say to that guy? Oh, big deal. That's fine. But who are you in Christ? You see, that, that's what he would say. Rich, poor, slave, master, black, white, orange, green, whatever color you are, you know, whatever your nationality, whatever country you're from, whatever your socioeconomic, he would say, that is not what really matters. What matters is, are you in Christ? That, that's, that's the beginning of chapter 3 that we've been looking at every week. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things, not on things of the earth. He's just a what we've been learning about for months now, right? He's just actually living that out. Paul told us in chapter 3, verse 1, don't set your mind on things down on the earth, set them on things above. And he's actually living that out. And so to these slaves, he says, hey, you're a slave, don't worry about it. If you can get free, get free. But the important thing is, who are you in Jesus Christ? I mean, here's the reality, folks. We aren't all going to have great life situations. Now, see, I need to say that because there's a lot of American Christians who think, until I get my life situation better, I can't ever be happy in the Lord. I can't ever serve Christ. I can't ever be fruitful. I can't ever, you know, get on with the advancing the kingdom until I get these things. Listen, that is not biblical, right? Not everybody's going to have 
great life situations. You know what? Not everybody's going to live in a free country. You all happen to. I mean, isn't that awesome that every one of you in this room, you live in a free country. You have freedom in America. You, you are not oppressed in, in, in a political way. I mean, that's awesome, but not everybody around the world is going to have that. Many people are going to live and die in an unfree country, in a, in a communism or with a dictator. They're, they're just not. Not everybody's going to be wealthy. Not everybody's going to have a, 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 a job that is their dream job. Which, by the way, that's really kind of a new concept. Did you know that? I read some really interesting articles about work, and, and they were talking about how kind of the new thing is everybody wants their dream job. Would I like to be the riverboat captain, you know, taking people through the Grand Canyon every day? Yeah, I would, you know? I mean, sure, that'd be great. But there's not many people that are going to be able to do that, right? The, the new thing that kind of cracks me up is this is a real job, a travel blogger. So what you do is you, use, you travel to all the vacation spots and then you write blogs about it for magazines and stuff, okay? I actually think Em and I would be really good at that, you know? We both like to travel. We both uh, we enjoy adventure. You know, she's a really good writer. I'm really good at carrying suitcases and getting through customs when I'm not supposed to. So I, 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 think, I think we'd be excellent at that. But the reality is you're a professional vacationer is what you are, all right? Now, now, here's the deal about those dream jobs, okay? One, there's not very many of them. Two, they're not really necessary, right? Um, so what happens if all the travel bloggers are at a travel blogging convention in Cincinnati and the building falls and they all die? What happens the next day? Nothing, probably. I mean, yeah, there might be new, I don't know. Nothing, right? Like, like, do the wheels of industry shut down in America? No. The reality is, most of the jobs that are necessary are probably not dream jobs, right? Like, what happens if all the sanitation workers in America get killed? Man, by Friday, we're in a world of hurt, okay? I mean, like, nobody wants to live here. It looks like India, right? I mean, what happens if all the plumbers, you know, quit? I mean, what happens if, if all the highway maintenance people, yeah? I mean, most, most of the jobs that people are employed by aren't on the so-called dream job list. But you know what Paul would say about that? That doesn't matter. He would say, don't, don't worry about that. Don't, 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 don't concern yourself with that because your social status, your work occupation status is not what matters. It is that you are in Christ. Let's go even further. Does everybody have the exact same amount of trials in their life? It's just distributed you know, differently in their life. No, that's not true. I, I hope you didn't think that. I hope you didn't think that life is fair, that everybody gets you know, 1,000 trials and just some of them get it early in life. No, that's not, that's, not, that's not the way it works. Some people actually make it all the way through life relatively unscathed. You know, I mean, like hardly anything bad happened. There was hardly any suffering why is that? I don't know. But you know what I know? Some people suffer from the day they're born to the day they die. And, and, and I, I don't have an explanation for you about that. It's all under the sovereignty of God. But it is the reality, right? Not all marriages are the same. You know, a lot of people think that. A lot of, a lot of people that write those marriage books, this is why marriage books are not very helpful, is because a lot of the marriage books are written by people that have really easy marriages, you know? So they're writing stuff like, you know, the key to marriage is have a date night. You know, it's like, really? That's the key, you know? That's all you got to do is have a date night. You're like, yeah, you know, 
1799, you know. They just got a different deal, you know. I mean, and, and so here's the reality. Not every life situation is going to be the same. Paul is talking to slaves, right? Get, get your head around that. These are people who are owned by somebody else. These are people who are oppressed. These are people who probably will never be free in their life. They'll never get to go on a vacation. They'll never get to be a travel blogger. They'll never, they'll never get to do any of that. They, 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 they can't make their own decisions. And you know what Paul says? Literally in 1 Corinthians 7, don't be concerned about it. That's incredible. Americans need to hear that. You know, because whenever things get a little bit cranky for us, we start blowing up. You know, we start being like, man, I can't serve Jesus. I can't be happy in the Lord. I can't live the Christian life because my garage door doesn't work or whatever, you know. I can't come to church because I have a low tire, you know. And my, like the wheels unravel on our life if it isn't all just the way we want it. That's ridiculous from a biblical perspective. Paul's talking to slaves he is talking to slaves, and he says, in whatever situation you find yourself, man, live out the gospel for the glory of God, because you are in Christ. And he says, there's no partiality. That master, that slave, that CEO, that bottom of the tier guy, you know what? When they come to Christ, they are even, they are equal. In fact, the slave and the bottom tier guy probably have an advantage in glorifying the Lord than the other guy. I mean, the Bible actually tells us that. It's harder to be rich in a believer than it is to be poor. So, with that in mind, let's spend a few minutes talking about our work, Okay. Now, why are we talking about our work? Uh, who in here is a slave? I thought a few people would joke around. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Um, you're a slave to Christ, probably. Uh, you may feel like a slave in your house sometimes. But I don't think anybody here is a slave. So, how many of you, though, work for somebody? Yes, there's probably lots of us in here. Okay, so... Let's apply this to our work. Now you're saying, well, pastor, but it doesn't say work. It doesn't. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. You know what? If you work for somebody, you get paid. If you work for somebody, you can quit and go to do a different job. You can, you can do whatever you want. You're free to do that. These folks were not free to do that. So I'm not saying the same thing. But what I'm saying here is that if these principles apply to slavery, they apply more to the workplace. So it's not less. In other words, when Paul says, you know, do your work heartily as for the Lord, if that, if that is true of a slave, it's more true of an employee. So these are not, these don't apply less to employees, they apply more to employees, all right? So we're going to apply it to our work, all right? And especially because in verse 23 it says, whatever you do, you see that? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Now, whatever you do would encompass whatever you do, right? So whatever you do, whether you're a plumber or an artist or interior design or a pumper, an accountant, a rancher, a banker, a mail carrier, a fishing guide, an administrator, a chemical engineer, a fast food worker, electrician, teacher, coach, construction, dentist, doctor, nurse, radiologist, entertainment industry, welder, fabricator, or whatever it is that you do, professional diaper changer, whatever it is that you do, Paul says, work heartily, and then there's a key word here, as for the Lord. Now, 
I know Paul wants to emphasize that because he says it four times in three verses. All right, so let's read our passage again, part of our passage again, and we'll emphasize when Paul says it. So beginning in verse 22, he says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing, number one, the Lord. Fearing the Lord. Do what you do with sincerity. Why? Fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. All right, four times he emphasizes who is the real boss, all right? No matter who you work for, no matter who you're enslaved to, no matter your situation in life, Paul says you are under the authority of the Lord. As a believer, or really even not a believer, but especially as a believer, you're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your owner. He is your boss. He is your king. He is in charge of you. And any action or inaction is done under his authority because he is not just in charge at the workplace he's not just in charge at the factory he is in charge everywhere every molecule every atomic particle is under his lordship all right everything everywhere so anything you do you do with his time you do with his body you do with his energy you do with his resources you do it with what he's given you he is the lord And so everything we do is under his lordship. He is eternally lord. He is forever lord. There will never be a time when he's not lord. He is a generous lord. If you're a believer, then he's already given you adoption, redemption. He's justified you. He's made you righteous. He's forgiven you. He's sanctified you. He's filled you with his spirit. He's made you one with himself. You cannot die. He is your king. And so Paul is saying that whatever you do, Whether you scrub floors or paint walls or crunch numbers or deliver letters or enter data or care for cattle, you are doing so in direct connection with your Lord. Now, it takes faith to believe that. I I know it does because the next word, okay, so verse 23 says, whatever you do, do hardly ask for the Lord, not for men. The next word is a faith word. So the first word of verse 24 says, knowing, knowing. In other words, you 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 got to know something to believe this, all right? So maybe maybe you're here and you're under the delusion that you only are under Jesus lordship at certain times. Like when you're in church, then you're under his lordship because this is his house. But when you walk out of here, you you're no longer like it doesn't matter what you do then. You know, he doesn't watch. He doesn't see. It doesn't concern him. He's like, "Oh, I don't care what you do." You know, I don't care how you drive home. I don't care how you order your food. I don't care how you take care of your kids. That is not the case at all. You are under the lordship of Jesus Christ and there's never a moment, there's never a second in time when you're not under his lordship. And so he tells us, you got to know something here in verse 24. He says, knowing, this is interesting, from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. Now what is he saying? He's saying, knowing that Christ is our Lord and that from him we get our reward. So we should work heartily Because I'm getting my reward from him. You see, something motivates you. Something motivates you. Why do you go to work tomorrow? There is some motivation. Why do you keep your house clean? There's some motivation. Why do you mow your lawn? There's some motivation, right? It could be that you you care about your reputation. It could be that you want a paycheck. That's actually the reason everybody goes to work. I don't know many people when they stop paying them, they keep working. I mean, there's probably a few... 
but they probably don't do that forever. They probably can do that forever, right? So that, that paycheck is a motivation. You know, if I do this job, I'm going to get this money. This guy at my company, he's going to write a check. He's going to sign. He's going to give it to me. He's going to give me cash in an envelope. He's going to put credit on my account. Somehow, I'm going to be compensated from it, all right? So there, there's, there's a motivation for doing everything that you do. And Paul is saying, when you work for Jesus, you should know, okay? As a believer, you should know that from him, you'll receive the inheritance of your reward. Now, what does Christ give? Everything. Everything you need, right? So what, what does he give? His approval, his smile, his commendation, his inheritance, his blessing, his glory, his nearness, his presence, his joy, his peace, his contentment, his care. All of that, right? I, I, I want all of that. I want all of that. And so Paul is tightening the connection here between the shovel handle and the blessing that comes from Jesus. That's exactly what he's doing. He's seeing the guy that is out there digging that ditch for this company, but he's really not doing it for the company. He actually says, Jesus, this is your earth. This is your trench. This is your people. This is your, everything that I'm doing here, I'm doing for you. And so with my attitude, I'm doing it for you. With my effort, I'm doing it for you. With, with my, my results, I'm doing it for you. Jesus, I'm under your authority. When nobody is looking and when nobody's watching me, I'm not slacking off because I know you are, and I'm doing this with full confidence that you you will take care of me. That's what Paul wants. That's what the Bible is telling you here. To make that connection. That when you work for the Lord, he'll repay you. Some of you may struggle with that. You may struggle with, wow, but we don't do it for pay from the Lord. You don't? Why? Is it because you just do it for him because you feel sorry for him? Is it because you do it for him because he really needs you? That's all bad theology. You know, the guy's like, I don't do it for something back from the Lord. I just do it because, you know, it's the right thing and he needs me. No, he doesn't. You die today. You get smashed by a truck. You're gone. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need any of us. You know what Hebrews eleven six says? It says it's impossible to, to please God without faith and that, that he would please him must be must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, it's actually a faith step to say, Jesus, you have everything that I need. And so I'm working for you, trusting you to supply exactly what I need when I need it. I know that you won't let me down. So I'm, I'm going to work hard at everything I do because it's all for you. That's the connection Paul wants you to make. He, he, he wants you to to live in such a way that glorifies God in everything you do. There's a great verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31, that says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whatever you do ought to display God's greatness. That, that's, that's, that's what Jesus is looking at, is what you do, the ditch you dig, are you doing it in a way that displays the greatness of God? Listen to these verses. Matthew 5.16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So Jesus says what ought to be happening is people ought to be seeing your good works and when they see them, they're going to give glory to God in heaven. Let, let's make this even tighter, okay? So Titus chapter 2, this is another slave passage, all right? 
It's one of those that blows our mind, all right? Here's what Titus, here's what Paul tells the, the, the slaves who are in Titus's church. Verse 9, bond servants, chapter 2, verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything, this is very important, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You see that? That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So he tells slaves, he says, you guys ought to be well-pleasing to your master. Man, you ought to work hard. You ought to do a great job. You ought to have a great attitude because you're working for Jesus. And so you know the reward's going to come from him. And so you ought, you ought to do your work with excellence so that you make the gospel look good. Now, now is the gospel already good? Absolutely. The gospel is fantastic. The, the reality that sinners who are rebel, rebels against God the reality that God loved them enough to send his own son to live the perfect life in their place and then to die a horrible death on a cross in order to bear all of their guilt and all of their punishment and all their, the wrath of God upon them in order that they might be joined to the everlasting eternal son of God, be forgiven of their sins and live forever in a new heaven and new earth. That's good news. But what Paul wants to make sure happens is that that good news gets packaged in an appropriate package, right? You see, let's say that slave is the only Christian in his house, okay? If he's the only Christian in his house, how, what's he going to do to make, the, make his master interested in the gospel? Well, if, if he's a, a lazy guy that doesn't get up on time and he doesn't make it to work on time, and he never has things done, and he never has things prepared, and he's always got a bad attitude, and he's always huffing around about how, how bad his life is, is that going to make the master interested in Christianity? It will not. And so Paul is talking about how do you package the gospel? Think of something valuable. How about, um, how about the Hope Diamond? Have you ever heard of that? It's like this, the biggest diamond in the world. It's worth gazillions of dollars i don't know you know whatever you know beyond your imagination let's say that you've got the hope diamond it belongs to you and you're gonna give it to somebody you love all right here's my question what kind of package do you wrap the hope diamond in you know what do you wrap it in what would be an appropriate package to give the hope diamond to you know let me let me tell you what would be tragic okay so you got to put it in something so you can transport it and then they can open it up. What if what have you got in your fridge and that meatloaf you had two weeks ago, it's still in there. People didn't eat very much of it, you know. It's got a little green fuzz on it, covering it, you know. It doesn't smell like meatloaf anymore. It smells like something else, you know. And you take that Hope Diamond and you jam it inside that meatloaf, get it all in there. Ooh, that's nasty, you know. And you pack it around there. And you wash off your hand and you get to that platter and you're like, Bonnie, I love you. You know, here's a gift for you, you know. Okay, now, Bonnie being polite, she's going to be like, thank you, I'll take it in the kitchen. What she really means is I'm going to throw it in the trash when you're not looking, right? So you gave her something of infinite value, but you packaged it poorly to the point that she's not interested. Because it, the way you packaged it does not reflect what's inside of it. So how would you package it? 
you grab behind the minivan seat, get an RB sack, you know, we'll fry, dump the fries out, put her in there. That still doesn't do it, right? I don't know. Man, how do you package the Hope Diamond? I mean, probably one of those, like, black velvet cases, you know, with a little cushy pillow inside, and, you know, they'll put it in there, and then some kind of ribbon, some kind of gold embossing, and maybe one of those briefcases, those steel briefcases with the handcuffs and the, you know, the little eye scanner and the, you know, you know, big that. Give that to Bonnie. She's intrigued, isn't she, right? She's, uh, she's interested, you know, as you pop those deals up and open that up and there's that black case. Bonnie's like, oh, man, you know, what well, I am interested in what is in there. Okay, now, you are the package. That's what, that's what Paul is telling these guys. Some of you aren't believing this, and it makes me upset. 2-9, bondservants, slaves. He's saying, be submissive. Some of you can't get by that. You're like, no. This person, I'm being treated unjustly. I don't have a good standing in life, so I'm not doing anything for Jesus until this changes. And you've missed it. And Paul says, bond slaves. you slaves. You should be submissive to your own masters and everything. Don't be, they're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Make, make the gospel beautiful. All right, now let's go to workers. So workers, how are you packaging the gospel? Right? So I think I read somewhere uh, on a blog or something, 100,000 hours is how many hours you work if you work for 40 years, 50 hours a week, two weeks off a year, something like that, 100,000 hours. So, man, you're going to spend a lot of time in the service industry, in the production industry, with employ other employees, with your boss. You're going to spend a bunch of time. How are you packaging the gospel? How's that, how's, that, how's that being packaged? Man, here's the reality. The lost world is really not interested in what we're doing. You know what a lot of people think? A lot of people think if they could if they could have just heard Bonnie up here singing, if they could have just heard Janine up here singing, you know that man, no, probably not, honestly. You know why? They don't value the things of God. People will say, Well, if, if they could have just heard your sermon, Pastor, most of the time probably not. You know well, you know why? You were there. I was there at one time. Not interested in the things of God. But you know what universally people stand up and take notice of? Good employees, don't you? And you know bad ones. Man, Addie and I were traveling back from Colorado, and we stopped at this fast food place to get something to eat. It was the worst manager I've ever seen in my life. She, uh, she would, uh, she would uh, yell at everybody, but she really wouldn't help them. And then she would look at us, the customer, and kind of be like, ah, see what I have to put up with, you know? I mean, it was just horrible. The place was run terrible. It was not pleasant for anybody. Nobody had to, knew how to do it. Nobody had been trained. Nobody had to do anything. You, you, you know what? There was nothing in me that said, I wish I could know that lady better. <laughs> now, I, I kind of like to share the gospel with her. What I'm saying is, there was nothing in there that made me say, man, this, there's something here. You, but you take notice when people do their job well. That's why I like to go to Chick-fil-A. Have you ever met any nicer young people than at Chick-fil-A, you know? I mean, they're just, I don't know, they're trained well. Maybe you didn't have the same experience I did. But when I go there, it's like, yes, sir, you know. I'm looking around, looking for my seat, and they're right behind me with my tray, you know. And, 
You know, can I get you anything, sir? I'd like some more Diet Coke. My pleasure, sir. You know, here you go. You know, I mean, man, I recognize that. I've often thought if I wasn't a pastor, I think I'd be in the medical profession. Um, I'm probably not smart enough. You probably don't want me as your doctor, but (laughs) something else, you know, like RN or I don't know, physical therapist or something like that. Those guys have such a great opportunity because they broken, sick, hurting people come. And when you do a good job and make them feel better, you know what I've found? People that will not listen to me will sit down and Dr. Kirkendall will hammer them for half an hour with the gospel. And they keep coming back and paying money. It's incredible. It's incredible. And a lot of them will say, I mean, he told me this. They'll say, I don't want to meet your pastor. Like, he'll be like, he'll come, I don't want to, I'm not coming to church. Well, can my pastor come? No, he can't come by. You know, but they'll let him. You know why? Probably because he did a good job taking care of them. People see your work. And it's an open door to the gospel. Now, you need to be willing to speak it. Something that frustrates me is an employee does a great job glorifies God in their work. They do it for Jesus. But then when it comes time to actually communicating the gospel, they fault that, that that's a tragedy. But you should adorn the gospel. Okay, quickly, quickly, quickly. What, what does Paul say how we should do that? Two things I'm going to cover just real briefly. I know our time's up. Verse 22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. So the first thing he says is don't, don't, don't be fake, okay? So here's the reality. When, when you only work hard when somebody is looking, when you've got Facebook up and you're playing the little dot game and everything, and then somebody comes in the office and you real quickly exit out and you're, you're, you're now all of a sudden you're hardworking, you know what that says? That says you don't believe this passage. That says that you, you're not working for Jesus. You're not, you're not thinking, I'm going to get what I, what I need from Jesus. You're thinking, all I care about is what those people say. And I can fake them out. And you probably can, maybe, for a while. Probably not forever. But, but that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't believe this passage. I, I, I don't believe that Jesus is the one who will give me what I need. And so, so Paul says, man, do this for real. Like for real, connect the mowing of your lawn and the washing of dishes and the changing of diapers and and the sale. Connect that to Jesus. Do it for the Lord, knowing he's going to give the reward. Second of all, do it heartily. So verse 23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. That's a great word. It's just, it's just a great word. Heartily, like with all your heart. Literally, it means with soul. It's the Greek suke. And it means do it with soul. So, so not like, like, you know, dancing, but like, you know, with all your soul, like everything, all your life, do your work with life. I mean, literally, if this thing, if we really believe it is for Jesus, what I'm doing is for him, doesn't that, doesn't that make you want to give it everything you got? Somehow we lose this. Somehow 
when, when, we're, when we're little kids, real little, we've got this down and then kind of sin creeps in and takes over and all of a sudden we, we start being lazy, we start giving half an effort, we start grumbling, we start thinking I need to be paid more to do this, I need to be this, whatever. But little kids have this. I was watching Colt the other day and here's the deal about him. You know, whatever he does, it is heartily. Like, like he's all in. Like he, he, he's been doing this thing with bungees where he'll get his, his car and he calls, he hooks them up is what he says. He hooks them up. It's like a trailer, you know, he gets a bungee, hooks it up, he hooks something else to that and he'll pull it around and everything or he'll hook this to that or, you know, there's like a booby trap walking out of our house because he's got bungee cords hooked onto everything. And, and the other day he had hooked, he had started at the Honda and he hooked it on to the receiver hitch and he got it one and hooked that one on. Man, I seem like he's running to get one. He runs back back, you know, and he hooks it, and it falls off, and he hooks it again, you know, I mean, it's urgent, you know, he's getting this, and he goes to Addie's car, it's almost at the street, and he hooks one onto the, to the door handle, and he hooks another one on, and another one, and he's running back and forth, like he's just working at this feverishly, you know, and he gets him, and he puts it, and he gets one here, and he tries to get it together, and his little arms are shaking, and he's going like this, and he can't get it, and he looks at him, and he's like, dad, get me another one, you know, I mean, like, it's, it's life and death. Like, he is giving it all he's got. And if he doesn't get this together, then in his mind, it's all going to come apart, you know. And I run, and I get him one, and we hook it. He's like, <sighs> you know, we got it, you know. We did it, you know. I don't know what we did, but in his mind, it's heartily. Friday, I was mowing the lawn. I started the engine up. And I really didn't want him out there because I just wanted to get it done quick, you know. And so he was in watching like Winnie the Pooh or something. So I'm mowing the lawn. But he heard it. He heard the mower. And man, he comes flying out the front door. And he opens up. He's like, he's out here, you know. He comes flying around the corner, you know. And he disappears for about five seconds. Here he comes with his bubble mower, you know, full blast. You know, he's out there. And he's like, man, we got to mow, Dad. We got to get this done. And he's back and forth. And the way he mows is he mows for a while. And then he fills up the bubble deal with, with grass clippings. Like, I think he thinks like that's like I'm getting it done, you know. And so there was one time where, where uh, he's filling it up. He stopped at the sidewalk. I mow over my sidewalk. He stopped there at the sidewalk. He's grabbing grass clippings. He's, he's putting it in. And I'm like coming. And he's like right on my line. You know, he's looking at me. And he, you know, but he won't move. He's like, I got to get this in, you know. Like, I finally had to stop, you know. He could get it all filled up and then take off again, you know. And I just thought, how cool. You know, I mean, he's doing it with all his heart. Like in his mind, man, he is going to mow. He's going to hook bungees up. We're gonna, we're gonna, he's going to save the world. Somehow we've lost that. Somehow we, got to, we get to thinking that BBS is this week. You know, our temptation is to serve like, ah, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. Man, we ought to, we ought to, we ought to serve cookies or whatever we're having Marshmallow rocket ships or whatever it is. We ought, to, we ought to serve like eternity's on the line. And we ought to play in recreation like eternity's on the line. And we ought to do everything we do in VBS. We ought to do it that way. You, you ought to do your small group that way. You, you ought to do your work that way. When you work, you should do it with your whole heart. When is it okay to give half a heart? Someone tell me that. When's it okay to give half a heart? I thought, well, sin. We should be half-hearted about sin. Actually, that's not true. We should be no-hearted about sin, right? So when is it okay to give half a heart? I don't know that it is. Not if everything is connected to Jesus. 
Now, I know we can't run full blast like Colt because, right, some of us would die. That'd be it, right? <laughs> so, like, speed. But, but you still can give great effort and great quality to what you do, connecting it to the Lord who's going to give you what you need so that we might display the gospel to the world. Father, help us to live this way. God, it excites me to think about the missionaries that will be sent out from Lincoln Avenue from the three services today. God, I know that almost almost every industry in Woodward will have somebody uh, that's here, somebody that is a believer and is, is bound together with this church. And Father, I pray that they might live out their work, that they might serve their customers, that they might serve their employer in a way that makes the gospel beautiful. Father, I ask you, God, to increase our mission, increase our effectiveness. Lord, I pray, whatever we do, God, help us to do it with all our hearts. God, I, I pray for those that are waiting for that perfect time in their life, that feel like their, their circumstances aren't what they ought to be, and so they can't, they can't go forward, they can't serve, they can't have joy. God, I pray that you just show them that, show them that what they have in Christ makes up for whatever loss they have in this life. God, I ask that you would do these things for us. In Jesus' name.